Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast for June 12, 2010. I'm Erica Niesner and I'll be speaking with Dr. Philip Cools from the Previleg Collaboration about ventilation methods for preterm infants. But first, a look at contents of this week's issue. We have editorials on moving cancer up the global health agenda and children's mental health. In addition to the preterm ventilation article, there are articles from the Chronic Kidney Disease Prognosis Consortium and an article on heterosexual HIV transmission after antiretroviral therapy, all with linked comments. There's a world report from Nepal on politics and corruption and their impact on healthcare. And there's a perspectives piece which asks the question, how shall we tell the stories of our medical miracles? Earlier I spoke with Dr Philip Cools about his article which compared high-frequency oscillatory ventilation with standard treatment for preterm infants. It was a systematic review and meta-analysis which sought to address the controversy surrounding the issue of conventional versus high-frequency oscillatory ventilation and used individual patient data to perform the meta-analysis, a new approach to meta-analysis in neonatal medicine. Hello and welcome Dr Cools. Now, is ventilation required for most preterm infants? Well, let's say that about 1% of babies are born before 32 weeks of gestation, and half of them are extremely premature babies at less than 28 weeks of gestation. Now, roughly about 75% of those babies will need some form of mechanical ventilation in the first days of weeks of their life. Now, important is that 20 to 30 percent of those babies develop a chronic lung disease of prematurity, what we call bronchopulmonary dysplasia, or BPD. And this is a condition with an important morbidity in the first weeks to months of their life. Now, this may seem a, a small absolute number of infants, but these are infants which carry a heavy burden for themselves, for their health, for their family, and for society. They usually require a prolonged period of intensive uh, care, and during their infancy, they require frequent uh, medical care and frequent rehospitalizations. So this is still a very important problem uh, for um, health in society. And so are there long-term consequences if ventilation isn't addressed at this preterm stage? Yes, those babies who develop chronic lung disease of prematurity have uh, increased risk of having a, a poor uh, neurodevelopmental outcome, so poor psychomotor development. They have increased risk of pulmonary infections, of uh, hospitalization because of that, and usually they also have poor growth. Okay, what is the standard ventilation treatment for preterm infants, and how does HFOV differ from this standard treatment? Well, the standard uh, ventilation still is what we call conventional ventilation, which mimics the normal respiration pattern of a human infant, which is with inflation and deflation of the lungs at a normal physiological rate of 30 to 60 per minute. Now, it has been shown that conventional ventilation can be injurious to the lungs, both because of what we call volutrauma, it overextends the lungs, but also because of atelect trauma, where the lungs collapse uh, during deflation. Now, high-frequency uh, oscillatory ventilation is not a new technique. It has been developed late 70s, early 80s, and theoretically it uh, could avoid both polytrauma as well as atelect trauma because it inflates the lungs continuously using a, a continuous pressure. 
and then oscillates around that volume at a very high rate of around 600 per minute, but using very, very small tidal volumes. And in animal models, it actually showed that it was less injurious to the lungs than conventional ventilation. But unfortunately, in clinical trials, this finding was much more difficult to uh, reproduce. Now, you mentioned the issue of animal models. I can see in our associated comment by Richard Parade, he raises the issue of animal models. Has the animal model proved to be sufficiently comparable? And has this method of ventilation been widely tested in humans or more specifically in preterm infants? It has always been difficult to explain why those very nice results of HSOV in animal models could not be reproduced in preterm uh, infants. Also, in our meta-analysis, results are not really consistent with the results from animal studies. Now, the hypothesis we have about this is that, first of all, in animal studies, animals have a certain induced lung disease, which is often a very clear and severe respiratory distress syndrome. In human infants, there is a large variation in severity of lung disease with also babies with a very mild disease. So that could be one difference. Another hypothesis is that in animal studies, the circumstances are very well controlled. And this is in contrast with clinical practice when we take care of preterm babies there are a lot of variables which are much less under control than we would like to have in a clinical study. So all those other variables could influence the effect as well and could result in a less clear uh, benefit from uh, HSOV. Now, looking at your study, your systematic review and meta-analysis, could you briefly outline what the main aim of the study was and give us an idea of some of the findings of the study? Yes, well, the past 20 years, almost uh, 20 randomized controlled trials were performed uh, about uh, this topic in preterm infants. Um, and as I already uh, um, told, results were inconsistent. And usually we use uh, meta-analysis techniques to summarize um, the findings of those trials. But even those meta-analyses, which were based on summarized data from the trial reports, did not help us very much. And this was probably because trials differed um, strongly in terms of study design, in, stern, in terms of outcome definition, uh, study population, and uh, other factors. And this left uh, the clinician with a number of um, very important but uh, unanswered questions. Um, one of those questions is uh, whether certain types of preterm infants benefited more than other types. In other words, um, was HIV or is HIV equally effective for all preterm infants or does the effect uh, depend on the risk profile of the infant? Another question was um, whether high-frequency ventilation or the effect of HIV was modified, was changed by factors such as the type of ventilator, the timing of initiation of uh, high-frequency, um, other interventions such as the administration of surfactant, etc. Um, the only way to address those questions was uh, to go back to the original patient data and um, reanalyze them in a meta-analysis, but now using the 
original individual patient data. And for that purpose, we uh, formed a collaborative group with the uh, investigators of those in original trials um, in order to address those uh, unanswered questions. And what about your study results? Now, the, the main results, uh, first, um, we were able to collect data from 3,229 infants from 10 out of the 17 eligible trials. Um, now, this re represented almost 90% of um, all infants who were ever randomized uh, to those, uh, into those trials, which was a very uh, good result thanks to the strong collaboration. The main results showed that um, high-frequency ventilation and conventional ventilation were equally effective in terms of our primary outcome, which was uh, uh, death or bronchopulmonary dysplasia, or death or um, neurological uh, injury. Second, um, we saw that for some uh, secondary outcomes there was a difference. High frequency was associated with a slight increased risk of pulmonary air leak, which was defined as uh, pneumothorax or pulmonary interstitial emphysema, but on the other hand was also associated with less risk of uh, persistent ductus arteriosus uh, requiring surgery and less risk of retinopathy of prematurity. Now, a third important finding is that um, we could not identify a certain subgroup of infants who benefited more from high frequency than other, and those subgroups were based on gestational age, whether or not the baby was uh, small for gestational age, whether or not the baby received antenatal steroids um, for pulmonary uh, maturation, and based on the oxygenation index in the first hours after birth. The uh, next finding is that uh, the effect of high frequency was not changed, not modified by the type of ventilator or by the timing of the first dose of surfactant. And finally, um, we found that the effect was indeed modified by the timing of initiation of high frequency this means that uh, infants who were um, started on high-frequency ventilation within one to four hours after intubation benefited significantly from high-frequency as compared with infants um, randomized very early after intubation, less than one hour, or later than four hours uh, after intubation. Now, a question on methodology. Uh, you mentioned that this was individual patient data. I'm interested to find out how you actually found that data. Presumably it wasn't by going back to the original articles, you would have had to source it from the authors themselves. Yes, actually that's what we did. Uh, in an individual patient data, you contact the investigators of the original trials and you invite them to um, join in a group, collaborative group, and you explain to them that um, what you want, actually want to do is um, go back to the original study data. So the trialists, the original investigators, have to go back into their original data set, and they have to collect a number of data items which are um, uh, defined a priori. So what you do is that you build up a protocol for this meta-analysis. You do this with the whole group, with the whole uh, collaborative group, and you decide what you will collect, which data items um, you will collect from the different data sets, and how you will analyze them. You define the different outcomes, 
and you define uh, the um, methodology of the analysis. But the investigators um, actually have to go back to their um, original data files, send them to um, the steering group of the collaboration, and the analysis are done centrally by uh, the steering group. I'm interested that we don't hear of more individual patient data meta-analyses. Well, this is the first example in uh, neonatal medicine. It has been used um, already for a long time in adult medicine, in uh, cancer trials and in cardiovascular trials. Um, and uh, now it is expanding to other areas as well. We have um, an IPD meta-analysis in um, perinatal medicine about preeclampsia. Um, there is one in pediatrics uh, about otitis media. But this is actually the first one in uh, neonatal medicine. Now, in the Richard Parade comment, he states that HFOV is safe to use at the clinician's discretion. From the results of your study, would you agree with that statement? Yes, I think uh, in general we could say that um, high-frequency ventilation does not uh, gives, uh, give a huge advantage uh, in terms of uh, um, uh, improved pulmonary or neurological outcome. Um, so with this um, evidence, um, the use of high-frequency ventilation is indeed at the discretion of, uh, uh, of the clinician. Uh, what is new in, in our results is that um, our results do not support selection of infants based, for example, on gestational age or the fact that the baby is small for gestational age or the fact that he has received antenatal steroids or not. So the selection of babies at birth based on those risk factors cannot be supported by uh, our evidence. Thank you, Dr. Philip Calls. And thanks for listening. I'm Erica Niesner and Richard Lane will be back next week. You've been listening to The Lancet Podcast for June 12, 2010.